The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Destroy hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 466, coming to you on Monday, December 5th. We're going to look back at the Pac-12 championship game, look forward to the bowl season, the transfer portal, take your questions, and so much more here, as always. You can follow us on social media. We're at Reign of Troy on Twitter and Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Our email address, Troy at fansided.com. I'm your host, Mike Restio, joined along with my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Penguin of Troy on Twitter, Elisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back uh, after a extra day. The, the, the good thing about the... The Pac-12 championship game being on a Friday, in an instance like this, you have an extra day to sort of decompress. Yes. Did it help? I don't know. I don't know. We're we're gonna we're gonna see. We have a it, million a million emails to get to in this in this episode. It may have helped because I, I know just talking to our friends, like Sunday was worse than Saturday, uh, in terms of the sort of morning process. So yeah, I think I think getting to Monday and then having to talk about this team. Uh, maybe is uh is ultimately uh, for the good. Yeah, I I think so. Um, here we are to talk about a lot of things. I know that there's been uh, we got a comment on Twitter from uh from Cigar who said, "Do we have to sort of rehash the Pac-12 championship game again?" I don't think we're going to do that in this episode. It is a fallout episode, but we we have so much stuff to talk about in terms of um, bowl news. Um, Caleb Williams being a Heisman finalist uh, and so much more that I don't think we're going to necessarily rehash the, uh, you know, should they have gone through forward on fourth and and eight in, in yeah. the, in the second quarter. I don't think we're going to talk about that here on this episode, but a million emails we got um, because uh, the rot bots are, are fired up. Um, and, and when the rot bots have a lot to say, we want to hear what you guys have to say uh, and, and tackle that one. So this one, 
could be a long episode. Get ready for it. Um, I think we have to start uh, with a new review that we got over on Apple Podcasts. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate if you leave a review as well. Uh, this one comes from AAD44, who says, love it, and gave us five stars. This show definitely gives you hard truths, which is needed to keep expectations realistic. Love the dialogue and analysis. Uh, analytics yeah thank you uh thank you aad or ad uh (laughs) appreciate the five-star review and yeah i mean this this is i don't know that we're out here to give you hard truths i just think we're here to give you um what we believe to be a reasoned perspective uh we never want to be too homery and we never want to be too like everything is terrible because we sort of live by the motto. We said this years ago, but we've lived by the motto of things are never as good as you think they are and never as bad. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're going for. And I hope that you guys continue to enjoy and listen and continue to leave reviews because um, reviews do help the show mm-hmm. immensely. Our ranking on podcast catchers are directly reflected uh, in not just the quality, like the star quality of our reviews, but the recency of our reviews as well. Yeah. Um, so yes, we very much appreciate uh, people going and taking the time to do that. Um, and also taking the time to click the like and subscribe button on YouTube. Yeah. So if you're, if you're joining us now, uh, be sure to like the stream and make sure that you're subscribed so you can get content, uh, throughout bowl season, uh, other news, podcast news, um, during the season, we were going Mondays and Wednesdays here live on YouTube during bowl season. We're going to transition to Monday and Thursday. Uh, sticking to the 5 p.m. Pacific time slot. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, at some point, we'll probably put out an exact schedule of what episodes are coming. Uh, I think we're going to want to put out our Cotton Bowl preview um, the Monday before the game, so you have a full week since uh, the holidays are there and not everybody could you know, maybe listen on, on, on short rest. So uh, we'll get that out early and then have another episode between the preview and the actual game. But uh, more on that as we go. Uh, let's just get into the news, shall we? We got to start uh, with the newest updates. SC, of course, going to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, after losing to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, the Trojans tumbled down the college football rankings from fourth last week, which would have put the Trojans in the college football playoffs, all the way down to 10th. 10th. Uh, Utah jumped up to 8th. Uh, and now the Trojans will go to the Cotton Bowl Classic for the third time in school history to play the Tulane Green Wave. The Green Wave currently ranks 16th in the college football playoffs. Uh, rankings and uh, 28th and SP plus they are the group of five representative uh, in the new year six bowls um, they won the American this is just their second conference title since leaving the SEC in 1966 in the Cotton Bowl their first major January Bowl since the 1939 Sugar Bowl I think it's awesome it's awesome that, awesome. that Tulane is is no longer just like did you know that Tulane hosted Super Bowl two or whatever yeah. it is? Like you don't have to like worry about those things anymore because Tulane's relevant again. Look at that. We love the Green Wave. Um, their logo is immense, as you can see on our on our Cotton Bowl graphic. Um, I personally like 
getting to to face sort of the the scrappy underdogs uh, in a game like the Cotton Bowl. I know that, that people are like disappointed that USC isn't playing one of the bigger names. I don't need to play one of the bigger names to get amped up. I think that when you play a team like Tulane, they will be amped up. They will be ready to go. Their fans will be all about it. Yeah. Um, and I and their players will be all about it. So like if you're out here thinking that playing Tulane in the Cotton Bowl is is like somehow lesser than playing, you know, uh, an Ohio State team that got left out or, or let's say an Alabama team that got left out of the playoff. Like to me, it's not. It is more difficult to beat the amped up Tulane team than the well, screw it. Everyone's going to opt out uh, and and just not care about being in whatever bowl they're in game like the Alabamas of the world might be uh, this year. So, yeah, give me Tulane. Love it. See, I, I think Tulane is – this is a danger zone matchup. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, not only because it, this puts SC in a position to have um, opt-outs. We've seen that in college football. It just is what it is. It's not a representative of USC or USC's players. This is what college football is. Uh, if you're not in the playoff uh, or not in the Rose Bowl, which has sort of that same um, you know, reputation – then you're going to have opt-outs. It's it's unfortunate. Uh, it's not what we what we like as college football fans, but I would expect there to be opt-outs. Just be ready for those things. Uh, and then you have the injuries. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cotton Bowl so much more here later in the month, so I don't want to go too much into this, but yeah. SC has injuries on the offensive line. Uh, you've got the big injury to Caleb Williams that he suffered uh, in the Pac-12 championship game, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. And like you said, this is a two-lane team who hasn't played in a huge bowl game in forever. Really amped for it. Um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've played in a bunch of bowl games with, with Willie Fritz, their their current head coach, led by uh, Ty J. Spears, uh, who's the leading rusher in the American quarterback, Michael Pratt, the uh, leader in passing efficiency in the American. So um, it'll be a tough matchup because this isn't going to essentially be the team that SC faced uh, or took out to play Notre Dame like yeah. a couple weeks ago. Like that was SC's pinnacle was the Notre Dame game. Um, and this is not going to be the same team that's going to line up against Tulane. So we're going to yeah. see what, what happens with that. And I, um, yeah, I like, I, I agree with Kenny in the chat. Uh, I like the storyline of two of the biggest comebacks from last season. Um, it is noteworthy yeah. that Tulane was two, uh, and, ten, two and 10 last season. Yeah. Like USC was four and eight. Uh, it's cool that like the three biggest stories of the year, USC, TCU, and Tulane, the mm-hmm. huge uh, TCU was five and seven, USC was four and eight, Tulane was two and seven, like that them getting to play in these New Year's Six Bowls is is big and we love that. Um, I do want to address, before we just move on, just really quickly, some comments in the chat too. Tim said, so help me God, we better not be apathetic and act like we don't care. See the Sun Bowl versus Georgia Tech. I'm excited for the game. Um, I don't think you need to worry about that because... Uh, this team is in year one of Lincoln Riley. They have every reason to continue to want to build and grow and sort of like prove themselves. So I'm sort of banking on that. And I think we'll talk more about Caleb Williams role in that as well. Um, But Tim in the other Tim, Tim Wrangley in the chat said no win situation win and the nation will say meh lose and they will disrespect Tulane and laugh. Quite frankly, I don't care what the nation thinks about this matchup. Um, the fact of the matter is that USC is going into next season as a top four preseason team, no matter what, because of two words, Caleb Williams. Um, USC has had less that put them in the uh, in the in the top four, if not the top two. So 
yeah, uh, I don't think you need to worry about making a statement to the national media or anything like that. To me, this game is about making a statement to yourself. How much do you care about the game of football? How much pride do you have in playing the game of football? And how willing are you to take advantage of the bowl situation, which is extra practices, extra reps for every single player on that field? That's what I look at. It. I, I, I don't. I don't care what the national media looks at. This is only a win situation for USC in the sense of they get the extra bowl practices and they get to show what they've got as far as competitive spirit. And uh, if they lose, then then that's on them for losing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good outlook. Um, I don't know how realistic completely that is. I, I, I want to believe what you're saying and I believe with the spirit of what you're saying. At the same time, I think that you know, uh, th- there's a stat going around that Pac-12 championship uh, losers are 0 and 10 in bowl games. Yeah, but like 0 and U- 10. But that's my point, though. USC losing to Tulane is not going to cause them to not be a top four preseason. No, that's team fair. Next year, but, because Caleb Williams. Yes, but I'm just saying, like, this is like if, if we talk about like bowl no shows or rollovers, SC is very much in that realm of like having all the criteria of like what. When teams do that, SC has a lot of those factors at play here, um, which you don't want to see as a fan, certainly. But like, just just know that going in. Don't don't be don't be you know blindsided if if, if anything like that happens. So uh, let, let's talk about Caleb Williams. You, you mentioned um, him and his injury. Uh, let's just get to it. In the Pac-12 championship game, uh, he pulled up lame in the first quarter in a long long run at the moment we didn't think it was anything and then as the game progressed it certainly turned into something uh as chris trevino of uscfootball.com tweeted out after the game lincoln riley said that caleb williams popped his hamstring on the long run and wasn't close to 50 percent and williams would not let him take him out uh this was followed by sunday shotguns brantling tweeting uh lincoln riley said caleb williams has quote a significant hamstring injury said the nature of it is pretty severe and he would likely be unavailable the next couple of weeks. And they'll see what, uh, where, he has, where he is uh, at the time of the Cotton Bowl. To which Ryan Karchi tweeted, no doubt from USC quarterback Caleb Williams about his status for the Cotton Bowl. After speaking to kids at the Caleb Cares graduation ceremony, Williams told the LA Times he intends to play in the Cotton Bowl. All right, what what... What, what what do you believe? Where, okay. where, where, where is your head at? at this, okay, at this here's point? here's why I'm at. Caleb Williams is literally not capable of saying that he will play in the Cotton Bowl at this moment uh, because he is now three days removed from a hamstring injury that his playing will be dependent on his recovery from that hamstring injury. And as much as we as humans might like to will things into existence, even the most incredible athletes can't will a hamstring into being fully healed enough to be cleared to play the game. So uh, number one on that, uh, Caleb cannot predict at this moment that he will be playing in that game. But, but his response to this, his idea of absolutely I'm playing in this game is exactly why I think there is less of a chance of USC no showing in this game because Caleb wants to play and will be fighting to play. And if he does play, I do not think he will let his teammates no show on him. That's just sort of the vibe that I get from from Caleb Williams. Um, now, if it's a significant hamstring, hamstring injury, 
you know, four weeks might not be enough time to, to heal from it. It might be, it might not be. So Caleb watch has begun. Yeah. This is one of those things I put on Twitter that there's zero reason for him to play. Um, if, if it takes a, the, the game is what, four weeks away, four weeks away from today. Yeah. Tonight is Monday night. It's going to be a Monday morning that this game, 10 a.m. Pacific. Ooh, I geez. hate that for us. I hate it for yeah, us. Yeah. That's a like set an alarm to wake yeah. up in time. Um, don't laugh. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the, it's four weeks. Um, let's say that he's out two and a half weeks. I don't know. Just hypothetically. Then you only have a week and a half of preparation for a bowl game. I understand that like, you know, that's a, that's more than nothing, but like the whole point of the bowl game is to be overly prepared for your opponent. Um, and so I, I, I think that, Miller Moss is going to benefit from this, even if Caleb Williams does play, because yeah, he's going to get reps. He's going to get reps at some point, and and probably a lot of reps in practice. But I I just think that like this is the opportunity to give Miller Moss a, a shot uh, to use the Clay Helton there ism, uh, go up live against bullets. live bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously you want to see Caleb Williams, you want to see him compete and all that stuff, but is it worth him? re-aggravating the hamstring or, or or having some sort of setback that could potentially further the injury to the point where he's limited in spring and, and his development for coming back in September. I don't, I don't think so. Like I, I think the cotton bowl is, is something that you want to, you know, be up for and, and play w- with the best team that you possibly can. But at the same time, it's, I, you can go with Miller Moss here. I I think it all hinges on the doctors of USC. Like uh, uh, Alicia, it's Keck Medicine. Keck now? Medicine, yes. Yes. The, like, the doctors of USC, so much of a better name, it's right? A better name, yeah. It was so cool listening to the 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 doctors uh, of USC. The, uh, the commercials. Yeah. Brought to you by the doctors of USC. Yeah. Like that's so badass what it comes down to though is like will they clear him and my hope would be you do not clear this man unless he is 100 percent um and you do not let him play unless he has practice time before yeah and my guess my suspicion at this moment is that he will not have practice time before and that if he is cleared it will be a bad idea to let him play so like please god don't clear him um but also we're not in control. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I yeah. love that he wants to play. Like that is that, why he's special. It's you yeah. want him to want to play, but you also want somebody to take it out of his hands for the sake of his own health. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, of course, that is if the injury is real, oh, according God. to, um, I, I guess, uh, Utah Twitter. Um, as I put my aluminum foil glass on top of my head. Yeah. Need some aluminum foil uh, hats. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's a conspiracy theory among Utah Twitter that um, Caleb Williams was faking the injury. Um, I saw one tweet that said that as soon as Utah started turning the game around, then he started limping. Um, and it was all a play for to improve his Heisman odds because apparently if you play worse, that makes it look better for the Heisman voters, uh, according to this uh, remarkably logical theory. Um, Alicia, it's ridiculous. I, I think that 
I think Utah fans can can get in their feelings about the F Utah thing on on Caleb's nails. Absolutely right. Yeah. C- Caleb brings bring that, that on, on yourself, himself. That's fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you back it up, that's one thing. But if you if you do it in a game that which you lose, you absolutely you take your take your hits. Yeah, you, yeah. You, a thousand percent. Utah fans getting on Caleb Williams for faking the injury. Like, is this really what we're doing? Like it, it it feels like an overcorrection to Utah fans taking it so personally that SC fans talked about and probably admittedly whined too much about the refs after the first game, right? And yeah, this okay, is like an overcorrection to that. And it's just like, can do we have to do this? But there's always this is my issue with sports fans. There will always be something that people get in their feelings about. There will always be. USC fans could have not had the refs to complain about. They would have complained about something else in that game. And Utah fans would have taken it personally. And then it would have been a whole thing, blah, blah, blah. Everyone whines. You always try to try to do that. My problem is that a lot of people, Utah, Oklahoma, Oregon, UCLA, a lot of fans out there outed themselves as being. um, I'm choosing, I'm trying to choose an adjective that will properly well, display can, my feelings. You can just use the I word if necessary. Well, idiots doesn't feel strong enough. No, I, I G ignorance, ignorance. I think yes. Is, is okay, that's fine. Um I would just say, you know, toxic or and or just like toxic's a good one because the people, not, not to cut you off here, but you're getting the point you're getting to is the the crying thing. Well right? no, I mean it, I mean it's a lot of things, but yes, yes. The 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 idea that Caleb would fake an injury is idiotic but it's also this weird toxic like you can't just let the let the 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 guy like have the injury and be the thing that is like you can't just let that be a reality like right like that's a reality like it's okay but then on top of that people need to then go off about caleb crying and even one usc fan in my mentions was spouting some ridiculousness about how it was unsporting to cry or something like that. Cause there's no crying in football, which is like the most toxic thing that I've ever heard. Um, not really, but uh, one of the most toxic things I heard all weekend. And the idea that like Caleb crying was some sort of weakness on his part. And then to yeah. have it. And Caleb pointed this out himself on Twitter. And I talked about it too on Twitter that he is within his rights to do this because on Saturday night, after a loss, there was a whole lot of praise of Max Duggan from TCU crying after that game. And oh, look how tough he is. And oh, well, there look was how great he was. All the time, Tebow all the time. Right? And yet Caleb Williams, the only thing, the only thing I heard about Caleb Williams crying was people dogging him for it, saying he's weak, saying he's a baby, saying he's this, that, and the other thing. And Caleb highlighted that on, on Saturday. And, and, he was right to do so because um, it, it just it's gross. It is gross that these people think this way. And yes, some of them are trolls, but like every troll behind every troll is like is a human is a human who has decided to lower themselves into the into the 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 scum of the earth to perpetuate these ideas that are just like I look at it and I said this on Friday night too, like to some of the people in our chat, like how sad of a person do you need to be to jump to that? Like 
I, I I look at it and just think like you must be a very sad human being to to go there. Um, and it was really discouraging from my perspective. It continues to be very discouraging. Well, to my perspective, to I get that there are sad people out there, there yeah. are sick people out there, but like the sheer number of them does discourage me because like I would like to believe that most people aren't don't follow those. And I would I would go to bat that like. I don't think most Utah fans are these well, sick, toxic that's people. That's the frustrating thing about me. Like, if, for me, is that I have found Utah fans since they've joined the conference to be great, and they're passionate. We're so long, like, yes. And and you you know you mention anything about Utah, and they're all there. And, they're and, there. and like at first, it was just all you know. I'm so happy you mentioned us. Yeah. And like you know, there's the and niceness and everything. And at some point, over the. I, and certainly it's it's not all, but it, you know it's it's the it's the you know and SC fans certainly have uh, there's there's bad um, there's uh, bad apples in, in all groups all fan bases thoroughly, yeah, um, including USC's. Yeah, but it just it just sucks because I I wanted to think better of uh, of Utah fans specifically. I like it and, better. And I still do. It's just this is not a good look. I like it better when the bad apples turn their attention on the other fans. Because sure. then it's fans on fans. But when they turn their attention on the player like that, it's just it's just not not okay. Yeah. All right. Uh that's the latest on Caleb Williams. We'll see what happens as practice comes along. Uh, let's talk about the Pac-12 and go through really quick the Pac-12 Bowls. Uh, the Utah Utes, as we talked about, headed to the Rose Bowl as Pac-12 champs to play the third best team in the Big Ten, Penn State. Um, I actually think that'll be a pretty good game. Uh, Penn State has had a weird season in which they've just been chalk, which is, I guess, good. Lands yeah. in the Rose Bowl. They're very chalk. Yeah. Uh, SC and Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. The Alamo Bowl is Washington and Texas. Which should be another fun one. Vegas, I think, will be fun. Oregon State, Florida, the first Pac-12 SEC Bowl game. Looking forward to that. Uh, Holiday Bowl, Oregon, North Carolina. That should be good. Weapons. I, I like give me give me like plenty of those games. I think that'll yeah. be fun. UCLA, the biggest loser here. And like, <laughs> I, you know, not just because of the whole rivalry angle, but like, it's honestly, I think, disrespectful that UCLA was this good this season and goes to the Sun Bowl. But it's a it's a reflection of how the Pac-12 just had too many good teams. Yes. They go to the Sun Bowl to play Keaton Slovis, who's now in the in the transfer portal. So I guess he won't be in that game. Yeah. Uh, the LA Bowl, uh, the first one coming up in a couple of weeks is Wazoo and Fresno State. A couple of teams coming back to LA after having lost to the Trojans at the Coliseum. It, now they get to go to, to SoFi. It just sucks for UCLA because the LA Bowl would have been at least like it would have been just a preferable venue for them, and they get to go to some bowl. You see, in LA is better than El Paso. I mean, I mean, I'm sure El Paso has stuff going for it, but it's, uh, it's been a month there. Can I? I I'm, I'm not trying to bog us down because we have so many emails to get to. We have a lot to talk about in this episode. But can yeah. I just also say, just on the on the topic of USC having of, of the Pac-12 having so many good teams, Deion Sanders joining the Pac-12 is crazy. Colorado swinging for the fences, huge, huge hire for them. I don't necessarily think it's going to work out personally, but huge, no. huge hire for them. I cannot fault them for making that hire. Sure, but the way that Deion talks, like. 2023 is going to be real interesting with him at Colorado rebuilding that roster and everything like that because Michael Penix is coming back. Washington will be good. 
Uh, Oregon State will continue to be good under Jonathan Smith. USC is going to be really good. Oregon should be really good. UCLA, obviously they need to figure out the quarterback and running back situation, but like feels like they're still... UCLA's taking the biggest step back, but everybody else is not really taking still, one back. They're still working in the right direction. Washington State looks like they're moving in the right direction. Like the, This is the Arizona. worst... This is the worst time for Deion Sanders to join Colorado to try and yes. to pick them up from the from the bottom of the Pac-12 because I think the the top of the Pac-12 is stronger than I can remember it in a long time. So yeah, that's just my my Deion Sanders take. Like uh, I don't think he knows what he's getting himself into. Yeah, we, we can we can talk about Deion later. Plenty later. Yeah. Uh, let's go into the other news uh, currently is the transfer portal is wide open. Speaking of things we're going to be talking about for a long time. Yes. Uh, this is going to be a recurring segment on every single episode, seemingly for the endless of whenever uh, Gary Bryant jr. We know that he went, he was planning to go into the transfer portal. He uh, sat out uh, the remainder of the season after the first four games in which he could red shirt. And he's decided to not, ultimately end up in the transfer portal as intended he's going to stick around at usc is the word i i saw a tweet several hours ago so it's probably higher but 506 players had entered entered the transfer portal just today um gary bryant jr was not one of them and that is a, that is a surprise yeah it's it i'm disappointed from the perspective of if he had just not done the whole red shirt transfer portal thing he would have had a lot of playing time this year actually if, if he just so, been a little bit patient I don't know if there was something underlying there that needed to get taken care of, but it's just I, a weird situation. I understand that opinion. At the same time, look how many dudes there are in SC's receiving core. I well, can then understand to come back. Well, how many waiting of those... until Jordan Addison leaves yeah, but... and if anyone else transfers. But the how many dudes is, are coming but, back and and USC's adding more dudes? Well, in that's the, the risk too. Like, like, I don't think it's going to get easier to you, get playing time next year. You, you sacrifice, like in theory, all those plenty of those guys leave and you can just move on up but you also lose the ability to build up your favor with with the uh with the coaching staff and all that yeah. stuff so i don't know more more power to, to gary bryant for, for coming back we'll see what happens yeah uh in the spring and and so on uh other players who actually went into the transfer portal so far uh rush and julian simon safety Xavier alford uh, linebacker Taylor Katoa, who was originally recruited by Larry Smith in 1992, <laughs> um, he's in the transfer portal, uh, along with Raylan Goforth. Goforth, an interesting one to go into the transfer portal. Uh, yeah, so Raylan Goforth going into the transfer portal is uh, one part of me thinks this could be good because USC needs to go after the linebacker group hard in the transfer portal this year. And that's one extra spot available. Um, the mm -hmm. downside of it is, is that you can go hard in the transfer portal and not get the guys that you recruit in the transfer portal. So then you're down one guy who has starting experience. Um, so that's a little bit wonky, but I do expect USC to, to add as many linebackers as possible in the transfer portal this year. So I'm not surprised to see Raylan go forth duck out because um, to me, it's pretty clear that he is not part of the sort of long-term future of that defense. I don't know if you would disagree with that, but I, I don't see him as part of the long-term defense um, solutions. Um, no, I think if we're talking about what SC's defense can be uh, as the program continues to build out in the Lincoln Riley era, I don't think that 
he's who you have in mind. But part of that's because of age. He's been around a while, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, he isn't uh, he isn't a, a freshman anymore. You know, like, um, so yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I still think that he could be a valuable member to to SC's linebacker core. It really depends on who USC brings in. Yes, that's that's the big question. Yeah. So. For sure. Uh, let, let's talk Picking about up. the uh, other names in the portal around the country really quick. Just run down. Uh, Oregon linebacker Justin Flo. Out of Speaking Upland. of. Wow. <laughs> uh, DJ from Clemson, the quarterback, is in the portal along with uh, quarterbacks Graham Mertz out of Wisconsin, Drew Pine out of Notre Dame. I don't think SC is going to be uh, shopping for any of those guys. Um, but perhaps Indiana linebacker Deshaun McCullough. Dylan's son, the four-star edge rusher in the 2022 class. Pretty productive with Indiana. Indiana. I'm a yeah. little surprised. Uh, Alabama has a couple of guys in here, including starting left guard uh, Jamie Cohen, who has two years That's left. Right. I think he's someone, if you're SC, you absolutely want to call immediately, mm-hmm. uh, along with wide receiver Trayshawn Holden from a two-time state champ. Arbonne High School. Yeah. Um, Washington State. A couple of dudes, too? We, we name a lot of dudes here, and I think that the most important areas for USC to target for next year are defensive line and offensive line, along with linebacker. Um, but the ones that stand out just from the ones that you've you've mentioned as, like, obvious, yeah, just go out and get them, Treshawn Holden uh, and, uh, and Justin Flo, just because of their proximity to USC in terms of... of J.B. Uh, Cohen. What? Javion Cohen, the the Alabama lineman. Too. Oh yeah, Javion Cohen. Yeah, uh, those guys. If you if there are guys out there who you can bring back to Lo- to Los Angeles or to the Southern California, it just makes a lot of sense. That doesn't mean you are going to get those guys because right. they're going to have offers from other places. But you got to go sort of hard. But at the same time, you also need to be able to go in. Like if you could get uh, the the center um, Jake Renfro from Cincinnati, mm-hmm. all a all AAC, like go and get him. If you could get some of the sort of offensive and defensive linemen that are the key for USC at linebacker, offensive line and defensive line is not to add the guys who are leaving the big schools because they couldn't get playing time. It's to add the guys who are leaving the small schools because they're bigger fish than their small schools. So guys like Jake Renfro could be one of those guys, guys like uh, Isaiah Lewis from Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, Pac-12. Honorable mention. Yeah, like get those guys for the trenches and for the defensive line um, and linebacker, and I think you'll be you'll feel pretty good. We know SC is gladly taking a bunch of wide receivers they did last year. I'm very interested to see if they go after the Wazoo guys. Uh, Deshaun Stribling and Donovan Ollie combined for 138 catches. Like does, those are extremely productive dudes. Does USC need? You know what we need to do? We need to do an episode during the off season. Someone remind us of this. Um, of uh, sort of going through which positions USC needs the help in most, sort of do a roster rundown and everything like that. Because like, I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you you want receivers no matter what. Right. But I guess the question is, do we, I think you only, you get receivers that the really, really like the Mario Williams level talents. If they want to come, you get them. Otherwise you need guys to leave to open up spaces. So you're like, you need like, Brendan Rice to leave. You need, I don't know if Terrell Bynum has another year of eligibility. Maybe he graduates, but like you need to have dudes transfer away to justify, like to justify bringing new dudes in from Washington state. We, we need to do an episode where we, yeah, we do look at the numbers to talk about more of the specifics of these things for sure. Maybe yeah. that's something that we can do before the bowl um, or with recruiting the signing days coming up in a you know couple weeks. 
Uh, we got a question from Eric who says, can you clarify a transfer rule? I got a tra- uh, I get that a dr- grad transfer has the ability to play immediately. What about those non-grad transfer types? Everyone does. They can now. It's, there's a one-time free transfer rule, which is why Caleb Williams played for the Trojans this year, along with Mario Williams. So, but so where where the grad transfer rule will come back into play is you get one free transfer. Yes. So someone like Keaton Slovis, who's leaving Pitt, got right. the one free transfer, and now he's leaving as a graduate transfer, which means he gets another correct transfer that with immediate eligibility. If he was not a graduate transfer, he would not have he would have to do the sit out of another year because he'd already transferred once. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. All right, let's uh, should wrap us up with all of the news, which means we have to go into talking about the Pac-12 championship game. This is the the fallout. Uh, I don't think we're going to talk about key specifics. We talked about it before in the open. We're not going to rehash the fourth and eight play. We're not going to rehash any of those. We're just going to talk about over-under. I, I, well, you, you got something? Instead of rehashing anything, I'll just say over the, over the last two or three days, I don't feel the need to rehash anything that happened in that game because everything that happened after the Caleb Williams injury sort of is a big shruggy to me. I think there's a decent chance that with Caleb Williams healthy um, and Andrew Voorhees injured uh, and just the way the game played out that USC might have still lost that game the way that TCU lost to Kansas State. But like everything after the Caleb Williams injury is because the Caleb Williams injury. So I, I don't really think those individual moments matter as much uh, because uh, <laughs> everything changes on the Caleb Williams injury, I, and I, or the Andrew Voorhees injury, and or the you know Brett Nealon or whatever. But yeah, there's at this point it's all a beaten horse. But we got a million emails, so we can talk about those points uh, as they come up in the emails. Uh, let's get to the over under, shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I gotta take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm gonna do an under here. Uh, we're going to run through this one pretty quick too. Uh, going into the season, I had a six game lead, uh, a six over under win lead. Uh, I was at 44. You were at 38. Your first over under was four and a half combined punts for both teams. Uh, it was over. Uh, I took the over, you took the under. So that's a point for me. Uh, next one was 165 and a half Utah rushing yards. I took the, or you, sorry, you took the under on that one. Locks me into the over. It was over. It was way over. Uh, they mostly got that late. Um, they were not mostly got that late, but like blew it completely up late uh, when they had like 270-something rushing yards or whatever it was. See, yeah. non-specifics. Here we go. Yeah, not being able to tackle. Just... No, for, for sure. Uh, two and a half uh, Utah fourth down attempts. Uh, I took the over on that. Uh, it was under, gives you the point, one and a half cam rising interceptions. Uh, you took the over. I took the under, locks me into the under, and it was under. He only had zero. Uh, Dalton Kincaid receiving yards. Uh, I took the over on 90 and a half. Uh, it was under. He didn't play that much. He really didn't play that much. Only had four catches. They didn't need him to with USC not being able to tackle his backup. Yeah, for sure. Um and the last one, I said one and a half Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams Heisman pose events. Yeah. Uh, you took the under, and uh, smartly it was under with zero. Uh, for the week, we each went three and three. For the season, I'm at 47 uh, over under wins. You're at 41. Uh, for the week, big shout out to our friend Sean from Mid City ish. 
who went a perfect six and zero. That's a hell of a line on on when such a weird game to get six and zero. Yeah, took yeah. my cap to you. Big 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 one for him. Uh, we go to the season leaders, and everything just continues to get tighter. Here's the top ten. Uh, with 51 over-under wins, L.A. Fred and Ocean Beach Trojans tied for ninth. Fifth place, we have a tie between Cali Cat, Jay Vandy, our buddy Steve from the Bay Area, Randy from Redlands, all with 52. In fourth place, Carrie from Chicago at 53. Carrie went 5-1 and one this week. That was, that was big. Uh, Steve and Chad went 5-1 and one also and is in third with 54. And there currently is now a tie for first between Moose Pants great name, and Ryan from Arizona. Also so, great name, by the way. There we go. Going into the bowls. It's all it all comes down to bowl season. It does. I love it. It does. It really and it's does. anybody's it's anybody's game, really, because uh, you know, Moose Pants and Ryan could uh, could just go head to head, but also Steven and, and Carrie and and Cali Cat are all sort of lurking there. A big enough game, big enough week for me, any of those. Yeah. Jay Vandy and those guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, game predictions, of course. Uh, Bill Connolly said Utah would win 32 to 31.7. Uh, Vegas had the Trojans by two and a half. You said 38 35. Uh, Trojans, I said 34 23. We were all just way wrong. Well, uh, it was 47 24. No one was picking a game in which Caleb Williams popped his hamstring in the first quarter. This everything is, Everything went out the window at that point. This is true. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, a million emails. We got a million emails. Uh, so let's just get right to those. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today. Use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. You've got mail. We start uh, with to uh, Tony from Denora, PA. Uh, I only see it, Michael. This is Tony from Denora, PA. That was an old-fashioned beatdown. They took us out to the woodshed and just abused us. We didn't match Utah's physicality. We didn't match their intensity. Defense spent the whole night grabbing. Outplayed and outcoached. We aren't a playoff team, but I'm going to complain about this. But I'm not going to complain about this season. We've made great strides this year. It will get better. Fight on, Tony. Yeah, Tony, I, I don't think that um, people are, anyone's going to argue that uh, USC wasn't able to match Utah's physicality in that game, certainly on defense. 
I will continue to say that I think the defense got in their own heads. I think the defense felt like they had to go out and win the game and ultimately lost it because they were trying too hard to force fumbles. They were trying too hard to make the huge play and couldn't make the simple play. Um, And again, it all comes back to what happened to Caleb Williams's uh, hamstring sort of forcing that situation. I think also the under sort of the unsung uh, disaster of this game was simply the Andrew Voorhees injury. Um, yeah. It's not just that USC was missing their All American uh, guard; it's that by missing the All American guard, they shuffled the offensive line around. They had the, the they weren't able to run the ball. The left game. the left tackle who had been playing uh, Mason Murphy got moved to right tackle. He got destroyed at right tackle. Um, they put in Bobby Haskins, who had been injured all season and really hadn't been integrated with the with the the starting five, um, and and just had to move guys around. And then they had to move even more guys around uh, by having Brent Justin Elon. Justin Dietrich over to the left guard, and then Jonah Monheim at the right ta- right guard, and then Brett Nealon gets injured, which means they shuffle the line even more. It was a reflection of the offensive line for me. The physicality on offense was because that offensive line just it, it was one too many changes, one too many. Um, uh, situations there. So, um, yeah, I think that a, so much of it came down to the unfortunateness of those injuries. And and as I keep saying, USC might have still lost the game, but I think if they lose the game under sort of normal circumstances, and I'll give Utah all of their injuries back too. Both of these t- teams come into the game yeah. completely healthy. Um, the game is very very different it plays out very differently i i yeah utah absolutely had their injuries for sure um i i think that the way sc's injuries hit were just so critical mm-hmm. um and you know to, to oregon's credit they they beat utah with an injured boat nicks yeah but Bo didn't could, get injured in that game right, that's but, this but, is my no, thing but, it's but, like no but to, to to my point here that i'm trying to make is yeah. like i think sc could have beaten um, Utah with a hobbled Caleb Williams. I mentioned this in the yeah. carcass. I think they could have beaten him without Andrew Voorhees uh, and without a run game. But with all of those things at the same time, mm-hmm. it pre- it absolutely prevented uh, the offense from from being successful. And I, I, you know, not having Voorhees in there you just completely take away takes away the run game. And I think that's another reason why. It, you're you're reluctant if if you're Lincoln Riley to put um, Miller Moss in there because you're not going to at least have the support of the run game also, um, and I don't know they're just a, a confluence of a bunch of very bad things that SC could not overcome, um, and in part because the defense was always flawed, uh, and you add in the, the the thing about them trying too hard. I think the biggest evidence for that for me is. In that third quarter, um, which they made a bunch of stops, yeah, but they made one key fail, and it was on third and nineteen. Yeah. Because why? On second down, uh, Makai Blackman almost has an interception, drops an interception, and on the very next play, like was it, like five Trojans can make the tackle on the third and nineteen, including, and they're all going to strip the ball. Yeah, Bryson Shaw can make the tackle short of the line to gain. Yeah, and he goes for the strip instead, and he breaks loose. And then everybody else after that point is like, well, crap, we've already given up the third and 19. So yeah. let's go for the strip. And they all fail to make the tackle. Like, yeah. and I think it was has, pretty clear. If Vessi has a better defense, 
uh, you stick around the game longer mm -hmm. if, if they. But you know, my, all my, these things are ifs, and my SC point, needs to prevent those ifs from happening. My point continues to be: they stuck around in the game longer than they should have, given what we've seen from the defense across the board. Like the defense in the fourth quarter was miserably bad. Like they just complete like the 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 thing everything broke. Like the the bow broke. Right. But it was but still the a fact game of the matter is that the, that some game. that, that sure. game should have been out of reach two minutes into the third quarter the way that the defense had been playing at a certain point in the season. So, um, the they held on, they tried, uh, they they almost got there, but it was again the confluence of as you said, like Caleb being injured, Andrew Warriors being injured, not having a run game, and then also on top of that, having uh, a defense that sort of was limited in what they were always going to be able to do in this game. Yeah. Have them hold on as far as they literally could. And then when they broke, like they broke, like they had never, you know, like it was a snap. Well, th this is, this is the problem that. of having a team whose uh, process for winning is based on outscoring teams. Yes. And so when, when you can't outscore teams um, and you have all these other, you know, mitigating factors like injuries and whatnot, um, you put yourself in a spot where it's nearly impossible to win. They they pulled out the Oregon State game out of their ass at the last minute, but could not do that, uh, of course, against Utah. Too many too many things uh, went went absolutely wrong. Um, email from Jack uh, for Michael. I really miss Coach Clay Helton. I'm not sure what this means. Uh, you might ask why on earth I would feel this way. The truth is, I really miss Alicia's 20 minute rants on bad coaching. I haven't heard either one rant this year under uh, under Coach Riley. May God bless those guys. Uh, Arizona Jack. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jack. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there will be things that you can hear me rant on. I'm, I'm sure we'll get back to that. But, like, let's be honest. No one, no one. My rants aren't good enough to, like, make up for the fact of what we lived through for six years. So, yeah. Uh, Tim Minnelli says, I've been occasionally critical of some of Lincoln Riley's decisions this season. I've been irritated a few times. However, for the first time, I was actually irate on Friday because in garbage time, an injured Caleb Williams was still being asked to drop back and repeatedly punished by a defense out for blood. Caleb is a warrior, but Lincoln still needs to protect him. An MMA coach I know has talked about how hard the decision is to call for a corner stoppage. His fighter can have the heart of a lion. But if the fight has gone from bad to dangerous, it's ultimately his responsibility to call it off. Thank you for another awesome podcast season. The preview and car cast this week made the Vegas drive so much more enjoyable. Uh, this was an amazing year one, and I'm pumped for what's to come. Fight the F on and beat the green wave, Tim in L.A. Yeah, Tim, you and I are in complete agreement. My biggest complaint about this game was that even with Caleb Williams being hobbled, USC had a chance in this game. Um especially through the first three quarters, the way that, I mean, theoretically, if everything plays out the same on defense, USC was not winning this game because if the defense breaks in the fourth quarter, the way that they did, regardless of what was going on on offense, you're losing the game. That that's sort of an aside. I have a suspicion that the defense breaks in the fourth quarter, the way they did because the offense wasn't able to, to move the ball because they were so sort of uh, hampered by, um, by the way that, that, uh, USC was trying to run that offense, which was not adjusting to the fact that their quarterback was injured. If USC was going to win the game, which they had an opportunity to with a, an injured Caleb Williams, 
They needed yeah. to adjust their game plan on offense. And the fact that Lincoln didn't do that is a mark against him. He needs to be able to understand that Caleb has been special this season because of his running ability, because of his ability to make plays and all of that. And if you take the running ability away, you can't expect him to make Patrick Mahomes plays anymore. Yeah. You need to ask him to complete simple passes and get the offense moving back to basics. And they didn't do that and they lost. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, I don't disagree. And it leads us into a, a email we got from coach B. Uh, and I feel bad because coach B emailed us twice. The second one saying, don't read the first one. We're going to read the first one. Coach. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, coach B says, Hey team, not going to lie. Pretty disappointed at the moment, not with our players, nor the result of the season. 11 and two is amazing in year one, writing this with 529 to go in the fourth quarter, just after the missed Utah PAT. Gotta ask your opinion. Can I blame Alex Grinch for this? Here are my arguments. All week, everyone has asked Alex Grinch what the issue was. His answer, tackling. Knowing that, it is his job to teach the team to tackle, and yet we did see, if not 30 missed tackles, approximately 30 missed tackles. Let me counter your argument before I hear you say it. Yes, I acknowledge that we did not get the defensive talent in the portal that we saw on offense. That being said, this game did not feel like we got beat but rather we did not tackle on offense, on defense. In an isolated game, Alex Grinch lost this for the players and for the fans. If you say that we need to wait for talent to come in, then my counter argument is this. The USC defensive star ranking is comparable to the Utah offensive star ranking. If Alex Grinch needs four and five star players to beat number 11 Utah, then he will never be able to stop a top four playoff team. So can I blame Alex Grinch for this? Again, let me say I'm super excited for the amazing season the guys have had, and I'm looking forward to bowling even if we drop out of the CFP. But I'm simply asking, do you truly believe Alex Grinch will be able to put a national championship defense on the field? Coach B, high school defensive coordinator, so I share his pain. I have been in his position. Um, I'll just answer the question first straight out. Um, I do not think Alex Grinch is capable of having a championship, a national championship defense. Um I think that there is a chance and it's probably smaller than I want it to be, but there is a chance that he can put a defense that can complement a Lincoln Riley championship offense. Um, but do I think that Alex Grinch on his own has a national championship defense? No, I, I don't think so. Um, he can prove me wrong on that, but uh, you know, there's only a few guys who do have that capability. Um, I think that it's completely within bounds to be critical of Alex Grinch after this season. Yeah. While absolutely. also always also keeping in mind that when you talk about star rankings on offense and defense, you're talking about players who were recruited for a particular system, a particular team, and have been in that defense for X number of years versus where USC's star talent is, is completely irrelevant. None of these players with a very, very select few were recruited for Alex Grinch's defense. Um, they were uh, installed into a defense early this year. And I think the biggest argument against Alex Grinch is that they didn't get better as the season went on. Um, how much of that was injuries? There is a, certainly a stretch of time where the injuries were playing a massive, massive role. Yeah. Um, but also, I would just continue to say, like, at a certain point, you have to acknowledge that USC's defensive front, their front seven, had two players at most who are at the level that USC needs to be 
that needs them to be at if they want to contend for the playoff. Those two players are Tuli Tupelotu and then a very steep drop down to the potential of Eric Gentry. And Eric Gentry was injured and playing on an injured angle for, for most of the, the second half of the season. So we'll see what Eric Gentry becomes, but there's hope with him. But the fact of the matter is USC didn't have anyone besides Tuli Tupelotu to consistently go toe-to-toe with the better offenses, better offensive lines that USC faced this season. It's why USC wasn't able to uh, dominate the line of scrimmage against Utah. It's why USC uh, you know, was partially giving up 45 points to or 40 whatever points to uh, to UCLA because the USC secondary, which probably had more good players than the front seven, was hung out to dry half the time because the defense that the entire defensive philosophy that Eric that, that that Grinch runs is is one of those attacking havoc creating defenses. So if you don't have a front seven that's able to put pressure on the quarterback, well then yes, he's going to annihilate your secondary because he just has too much time. Um, the uh, the fact of the matter is, as as Malcolm in the chat says that Tyrone Teleni was the highest graded interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12. Well, okay, those are coming from PFF, and we talked all the time about how like there are, you know, PFF didn't have Jalen Carter in their all American team. So like the grades on that front are difficult, but also like Tyrone Teleni would not be in, like he would be a, a backup on any of the teams that are going to the playoff this year. Like, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that I really like his effort. I really like Solomon bird's effort. Um, but those guys are not at the level of the teams that uh, USC is trying to contend with. They need more talent in the front seven. They need more consistency in the front seven. They need to be able to start putting um, consistent pressure on quarterbacks when they're playing the better teams in the country. Because you got all the sacks, but like you needed to get more of those, more of those pressures in the critical games. The, the way I look at it, you absolutely can can blame Alex Grinch for this. Uh, of course, it's his defense, and the defense yeah. st- stops with him. And it's got to be better. It's got you can't be a hundred, you know, rank a hundred and something in a bunch of, you know, defensive categories. And I do sympathize with the idea that this was a defense that was put together from from scraps, scraps that were left over. But also, they had to to make do and and force guys into certain positions and change things around. You had the very early on in the in the year, you had Romello Height go down with an injury. You had um, injuries for you know Gentry in the middle of the season. All those things, um, and we talked about how the the talent level of this defense is like a three star defense. Um, but to Coach B's points, yeah, the talent level of this defense compared to the defenses that SC is play, playing um, in the Pac-12, with the exception of the high end teams like like say uh, uh, UCLA, right? Like almost everybody's going to have a three star plus um, offense for, for most of the, most of their talent. Anyways, you've got to be able to uh, compete against that. And we know that we've seen Alex Grinch do it at Washington state. So why can't he do it at SC? Um, you you got to see that you got to see the improvement in year two uh, to Malcolm's point in the chat. Who's going to replace Alex Grinch. You got to refine somebody better. I think that's a valid question because it's easy to one of the things that about defensive coordinating that I think is so difficult is the game is so offensive right now. And that puts the defenses so much at a liability. 
right? Because if you're Lincoln Riley and you want to push and push and push on offense, it's going to end up altering what you do on defense. You can't have the, like the 2008 defense gives up significantly more points this year. Uh, if they were paired with the offense that SC had this year, it just is what it is, but you've got to find a middle ground. You've got to be better because team other teams are not having the same issue. And so, See how it goes going forward. But, Alex Grinch is on the hot seat for for year two. Yes, and, and you go from there. Yeah, he 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 got year one though. Like and and yeah. I and I would say I, I think it's a completely fair argument to say like, well, who would USC replace him with? I think that's why you don't fire Alex Grinch, for instance. Like this is not a fireable year, being year one. I do not think that should stop USC from keeping an eye out for sure. You know, if if yeah. there's somebody who could be an upgrade, keep your eye out. See if uh, right. all, but that should happen every year. Like no matter no matter how sort of settled you are, you should be always on the lookout for like, could is there an elite guy out there that we could add? Um, if that's the case, then yes, you should jump on that opportunity. Um, like for instance, like I don't think that Jordan Addison was somebody that USC was going to sit there and just contact out of the blue and go like, hey, we're going to tamper with you to come to USC. Like, no, it's just that like. Somewhere down the line, someone thought, hey, Jordan Allison is uh, is is open to the idea of leaving Pitt. And there's USC right there. Caleb Williams knows him. We're going to get the ball rolling, all of this kind of stuff. Like, right. just like that with transfer portal stuff, you take advantage of it. Take advantage of like, yeah, if Jim Lionheart is, is, is even slightly interested in coming to USC, have that conversation. And if he says yes, then yes, you ditch Alex Grinch for him. But Unless you have somebody that you already know you want to replace him with after year one, you don't fire him after year one. Yeah, I I, I just think it's it's year one, like we talked about. Um, for the for the most part, um, you give someone you give him the the ability to respond to this certainly, uh, and to go to the last point that Coach B had in that that email. You truly believe Alex Grinch will will be able to put a national championship defense on the field. Here's the thing. I'm skeptical of every single coordinator. I don't believe anybody will. Yeah. Like I, outside of, you know, Brent Venables you or get Dave, Dave Aranda, Aranda like yeah. those are the only guys <laughs> that I trust to put a national championship defense yeah. out on the field. Right. And like, those are all head coaches for yes. that reason. And yeah. you know, the, and sure the 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 Kirby smart def- defensive coaching staff, I'll, I'll put there too, obviously, but yeah. like, I don't trust anybody. So no, I don't, I don't think that Alex Grinch is that guy, but I don't know exactly who is because, the, it's it's so difficult, so difficult. Um, Coach B's follow up email was: I have to apologize for the angry email I sent in about Grinch. I was frustrated with the game and wanted to put those emotions onto something else as opposed to experiencing them. Good vibes are helpful to no one. Um, I am grateful for the work Grinch did in helping lead his team to eleven and two, and helpful, uh, hopeful of a twelve and two record in year one. Looking forward to the bowl season and hoping the Pac-12 has success as a whole. By the way, Coach B, I don't think you did it. I don't think that email, I didn't even feel particularly angry. I don't think you said anything in there no, that, that wasn't uh, yeah. perfectly within rights to say. So you're good. Yeah. That's why we included it. If, 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 it, if it had been, we would have, yeah, not included it. But yeah, you're fine. All right. John in Oakland says, hello, Alicia and Michael. For some reason, the loss to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game has really depressed me. It may be the fact that the national media was jumping on the USC football bandwagon liking USC, saying nice stuff about the school, and now they're laughing at us. Or the smug behavior of Utah fans. One even uh, went on the Coliseum Wikipedia page and vandalized it, changing the stadium owner to Cam Rising. 
it's been fixed. This loss was ugly. Who's to blame for the situation and tragedy? There needs to be accountability for the worst day in USC football. The loss really seems to be a worst-case outcome. Injuries to key players and questionable decisions by coaches, all on view in prime time for the college football world in national and international TV to see. So how much damage do you think has actually been done to the USC football program? Will it negatively impact recruiting? How many potentially critical players will jump ship into the portal? What coaches does uh, head coach Lincoln Riley need to replace? What top assistants would want to come to an embarrassed program? What is a hard, realistic expectation for next season, better or worse than this season? Can USC football finally, uh, next year, finally win the Pac-12 as it blows goodbye kisses to the conference and open the following Big Ten season as a conference champion? Or should USC just drop football and join the Ivy League? Just kidding. Unless we don't win the national championship next year, fight on John and Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get I get the feeling that most of that uh, email was sarcasm to, to a certain point. I, I would I would certainly I would say so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that uh, the, the fact of the matter is most people, most reasonable people will be able to see that this was a, a hugely successful first season. Um, USC is going to have a, a player going to New York for the Heisman ceremony. I personally think he's going to win the Heisman. Um, Lincoln Riley is going to get to come into the offseason with plenty to say to recruits about a how how good his offense is at usc so offensive guys are going to want to come join usc and i think alex grinch is going to be able to pitch the recruit to, to recruits and and transfer portal guys that man yeah we need help we need help and uh and and we need you to come and and be the guy that that helps us um yeah. and uh and i think that can be a successful pitch and if alex grinch isn't able to make that pitch and then follow through with vast improvements on defense in, in 2023, then that's a conversation that we're going to continue to have. Uh, USA comes out of the season with or without a, a loss to a winner over Tulane or a loss to Tulane or anything like that. USC comes out of this season has to come out feeling very, very good and moving in a positive direction. And to be frank, uh, the negativity around USC from people the moment USC lost was always going to be there. The sure, feelings yeah. that people have felt this week, this weekend after losing to Utah in the Pac-12 title game, it would have been the exact same conversations if USC had gotten into the playoff and lost or even gotten to the national title game and lost. Uh, the, 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 the Ducks fans would be in our chat talking about poverty universities and the Utah fans would be laughing and the Notre Dame fans and UCLA fans would be laughing and Sooners would be cackling as though they weren't six and six. Sure. So yeah, it, that's just, well, that comes with the, uh, that comes with the territory. Yeah, it, it does come with the territory. And, and then the, the inverse, you know, a week ago, everybody was, you know, laughing at Ohio state, yeah. their opportunity. Yeah. And uh, you know, they were able to back into the playoff and any team that any major program that blows an opportunity um, teams don't like the, the national uh, fans like to see the blue bloods blow it. Yes. So no, it was always going to, you know, lead into to that thing uh, to, to go on the, the idea of like um, John saying that the, the, the loss really depressed him. I think for me, one of the things that why I think that uh, SC losing on Friday was so soul crushing to having watched this team was because of how quick it happened, mm -hmm. right? Like you always knew, we talked about all season, the team was flawed. We knew that the, that SC was going to have to win games 
uh, in shootouts. Um, and we always knew that that was playing with, with the razor's edge. And we were always honest about that, right? Like always yeah. talking about like that was so much of it was, felt unsustainable to a yeah. certain point. And going into the last three games, the UCLA, Notre Dame, and Impact Championship game, there was always this thought, well, if they can get through those, then they will be real. And they get through the, the UCLA game. And then it's the Notre Dame game for me. The Notre Dame game, SC plays their best game of the season. They they look finally like a team that puts together almost a solid full 60 minutes. Uh, they look in complete control of that game. Uh, they play well defensively. They play well offensively to the point where they're scoring on every drive. They're doing everything you want to see. They're running the football. They're, they're dominating the trenches. They're doing all the things that you want SC to be. And I think that it's the the combination of that and then six days later going into that game thinking, well, here's the there's this championship game and it'll be followed by uh, potentially a playoff game. And if SC, you know, uh, who knows, puncher's chance, anything can happen in a one-game scenario. Who knows? Maybe they can, you know, be in the national championship game. What, whatever it is that you're thinking, right? And for everything to just be gone in a poof, to the point where now you're in the Cotton Bowl, and now there's like, well, Caleb Williams might not even play because he's hurt, and Andrew Voorhees is out, and and Brett Nealon has a has a, a leg injury, and and all these other guys might go into the transfer portal now, and now there's like it's the quickness. It's like six days later from Notre Dame is the but, is the game, and then all of a sudden everything just goes up in a blink of an eye but i that's, think that's the eye-opening thing. that's why so much of so many things are like recency bias I, sure. I just think it's the most recent thing that you experienced is the thing that you fixate on and that's why it's like it's always nice to win a bowl game because then the most recent thing you experienced as a fan was a win where right. if the most recent thing you experienced was a loss like then you're just sort of stuck in the like well loss everything sucks blah blah sure. blah um but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, that's the nature of, of sports. That's, that's the sort of the way it all happens. And you have to sort of like manage your disappointment a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's go to an email from uh, Tom in the Cayman Islands. Michael, Alicia, dot, 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 audible sigh. This game gave me PTSD. After the first quarter, not knowing Caleb Williams was playing with one good hand and good leg. My only explanation for the offense being so bad was that somehow the love child of T. Martin and Clay Helton took over the play calling for Lincoln Riley. With that said, I feel bad for you guys because we have to deal with the nonsense that is social media. I went on to Reddit, the Reddit CFB forum for all of 30 seconds before deciding, nope, not happening. I can't imagine how annoying it must be to have to listen to the tired narrative of USC buying players with an NIL that didn't exist until two months before the season even started or that USC is all Hollywood soft and that there is some moral high ground to living in Norman, Oklahoma or some other non-coastal city town. Like Michael, I thought USC would be nine and three, assuming they lose to, to Utah, one of UCLA, Notre, Notre Dame, drop a clunker somewhere early in the season. And I would have been happy with that. Last night was a tough pill to swallow against a really good team, but listening to your podcast and thinking more on it today, put things into perspective. USC is still ahead of schedule. Hopefully this can be parlayed into a good recruiting slash transfer class. Recruiting, uh, transfer class, fingers crossed on some good defensive guys uh, up 
front being available in the portal because good high school recruits won't be enough to fix the defense. Sorry for the rants, but thank you again for what you do. Keep up the amazing work. Fight on Tom and the Cayman Islands. And yeah. it's a good email. Yeah, I think pretty much sums up a lot of the things that I feel. Um, it was, you know, it's it's tough. I was telling uh, the our Rot Hates Yours Day's chat, our text chat, um, that I was listening to a podcast and, and the girl, totally unrelated, the girl in the podcast was talking about us, like what her the advice that her dad gave her or something like that, that was like, faith is the hardest thing to, to embrace because um, it means sort of believing and trusting in something without certainty around it, like without being able to say for sure that something's going to happen. You just have to sort of put faith in it. And I think that one of the things that depressed me about that game is like I had extreme faith that USC was going to be able to win that game right. because of what we had seen from Caleb Williams, what we had seen from the defense being opportunistic, what we had seen from the offense. Well, from you had Austin seen in Jones. the first quarter. Well, well, and I think that's <laughs> the first 20 minutes. and that and your sort of whole thing about like and then poof, it's gone. Like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. And to me, it really does come down to USC was going to. It could have been 24 it was going to be 24 to three. And then poof. And then poof, it's gone. And that's why I continue yeah. to like, I will get trolled by Duck fans and Utah fans to the end of the earth. That's fine. You guys can think what you think. But Caleb Williams playing on an injured hamstring in that game changes that game. I think USC at worst loses a very close game that possibly goes into overtime if it's a camerizing Caleb Williams battle again. The fact that he's injured basically takes the game to a different level. The yeah. fact that Lincoln Riley didn't adjust his game plan is is a very big reason why USC lost that game. But like mm -hmm. the USC that I put my faith in was one that had Andrew Voorhees on offensive line and Caleb Williams uh, quarterbacking and and a defense that wasn't trying like that hard to to you know do whatever they decided to do. So um, I think it's it's hard to have your faith shaken sh shaken in the way that you sort of lose everything in that game. But the nice thing about faith, too, is that my faith was not just in Caleb Williams being good enough to win the Pac-12 for USC or for Andrew Voorhees leading the offensive line to have a good rushing performance or for the defense to gut it out and, and try their hardest and be just enough for what USC needed to win that game. It wasn't just that. Sure. My faith is in the direction of the program. Um, Lincoln Riley has given me the faith that this program is in good hands. And that's why I keep laughing that like we have Oklahoma fans come into our chat all the time now and say like, well, this is just like Oklahoma. Like this is just like Oklahoma. And I look at them and I just go like, Oklahoma fans, do you realize that like if you gave, if you told me right now I could have five years at USC of what Oklahoma just experienced in the last five years you know, before Lincoln Riley left, um, if I would sign up for that, like. Yes, I would sign up for that. Y'all didn't experience the Clay Helton era. Like, you think that that the, the Lincoln Riley experience of winning ten games every year and being in a spot to go to the playoff and maybe have something special happen isn't something that I would bite your hand off to get? Yes, yes, I would. Well, the, so, like, it's not the burn that you think it is. Uh, well, the the flip side for me is like the idea that year one is the referendum on the entire era. Yeah, and and. Part of that is a huge testament, uh, honestly, to, to Lincoln Riley, because if there was because he ended up matching in year one what he did in, at Oklahoma. Yeah, because he did it so quickly. So that is a testament to like how good he is as a coach to get to back to that same level. But at the same time, like, yes, he has a problem with defense. Certainly. Yeah, for sure. 
Like, but he also is allowed to be able to grow as a head coach. Yes. And he's been at one year at this new university. Like, we're not going to, like, just decide that he has no ability to ever coach, you know, uh, a, a defense worth a damn because of one year at the new school. 39 years old. Right. Like, well, look, look at look at Lane Kiffin, right? Like, how much better he's gotten ten yes. years into being a head coach? Yeah, right. it, it, Lane Kiffin at USC now would be considerably better than Lane Kiffin in, from twenty ten. Yeah, Lane Kiffin with the Raiders in two thousand eight. <laughs> like, it's it's hilarious to to, yeah. to think about it that way, right? Like, you know, people are allowed to grow. Yes. Let, let 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 people give people an opportunity to grow. Yeah. And going eleven and two in the first year after a five and seven team after what SC had on the field last year is like, yeah, it wasn't perfect. That's, well, it was never going to be perfect. That's also that's also the uh, the thing that uh, I was talking to Kenny about because um, the idea that like I have experienced losses that felt like the end like Liverpool losing in the Champions League um like felt like you're never going to get back there because what is going to drive you back there and like I turned out to be wrong because Liverpool went back there to things but like Kenny pointed out like the Suns losing in the playoffs and it's like it felt like a it felt like a one in a million run and so when it ends it crushes you to a degree that it's just like that was the chance that was the end and now it's gone and like that is not what this loss was at all. This loss crushed. It, there's a reason we're all depressed. It's very sad. We're we're all very disappointed. But like there was no way, shape, or form that this is the end. This is the beginning. That's why it's so right. exciting. Caleb Williams was coming back. He's coming next back. Year. Yeah. So like it's yes. not even it's not even like in 2017 Corey where Foreman like we'll be back next year. It's not even 2017 where it's like Sam Darnold Bullock, is leaving we'll be back next year. But like uh, Sam Darnold is leaving but like maybe maybe JT Daniels will be the answer as a true freshman and maybe 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 like yeah. it's not even us looking at this going like well maybe Malachi Nelson will be really good. Like no, you get another year of Caleb Williams and then you move on to the maybes of the next of the next generation. Like Right. Well, the the other thing too is like you look back at like I feel like so many of those of the the gloom and doom from this game, and I understand you know thoroughly. I, in the I, moment, I get sure. it in the moment for sure. But it's like talking about this game as if it's UCLA, because right yes. now I think UCLA is in a where it's what year five, four, whatever it is under Chip Kelly. This is why our friend Jake was and so crushed. After yes, the and game. it's understandable yeah. because it's year four or five, whatever it is. I, I'm not thinking in, in math at the moment. And then on top of that, you have DTR in his final season. You have Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet. who's definitely not coming back. And, like, all these guys, like, this was their last opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's not the case for SC right now. Not the case. This is only the beginning. So um, things are only going to go, presumably, up from here or stay the same. And, like, to your point, if they stay the same, then the the next five years are this, then it beats with the last five years. That's for damn sure. Uh, Slack matches from SJ in Santa Barbara. What do you think of the idea of allowing players to play in bowl games and not having an effect to their redshirt eligibility? Seems like it would help rosters who have players sitting out of bowl games for whatever reason. This should not even be a question. This should be, this should yes. be the easiest thing to ratify in the history of mankind. Having said that, I feel like we haven't talked about red shirts in a long time. No. And I wonder if that's just because of the COVID year. Yes. Because the, 
the the red shirt rules changed in what like 2018 i want to say uh 2018 was like the first year and then by the time you really started to care about those things suddenly the covid year happened everyone got a free season and so the red shirts haven't mattered so we might care about that more as it goes but everybody having a fifth year because of covid i think kind of changes that to the point of like I don't like who are we talking about? Who are the guys who have been held out for red shirts? I can't even think of any outside of Gary Bryant Jr. who just like made it his point to to sit out, right? Like I, I don't know. Uh that who, would who are these dudes? That's something that we're gonna have to go through the stat sheet to see because like I would be curious. I, I'm guessing Damani played more than four. I'm. I don't I'm think it matters. He more than four. Um, let's yeah. see. I've got. I've got games played on the USC. But if, I don't but know. If Damani if, Jackson's who you think he is. He's not going to need a red shirt because like he's not going to be here for five years anyway. Right. Exactly. But but I will. I'm. I'm just going to go through this real quick because we don't have a lot of time. But um, Sinjin Astani, the transfer. Earl Barquet, the transfer on the defensive line. Both of them were at four games, um, which would be. I guess would if the bowl game was available to them, they would lose the red shirt if they played in the bowl game. Um, let's see, we've got uh well this must be wrong because it says Romello Height played three games. Chris, so Chris Thompson Jr. three games. Yeah, but it says Romello Height played three games, so I'm pretty sure that is not the case. Um no, I think that's right. Did he play three? Yeah, because he, oh. he was he was gonna miss part of the Stanford game, but he came back and oh, then... right, right, right. Okay. The linebacker Garrison Madden. Four games. Um, Miller Moss ended up doing five, so no red shirt for him. Uh, well, he already did the red shirt, didn't he? Um, yeah, he, he would have red shirted last year. Yeah. Uh, Fabian Ross, Jamar Sakona, Julian Simon. Uh, but, but a lot of those guys didn't even play the exact four. Was yeah. What I'm saying. Yeah. So it's like it, it's, a, it's a completely different thing. So, yeah. But to SJ's point, yes, he should be allowed for sure. Uh, SJ's next question is, do you think the strength of schedule has any relevance for teams in the Power Five? Do you think SC should schedule an out-of-conference cupcake as the last game in preparation for the conference championship game? SC playing two difficult rivalry games in a row, then playing on short weeks surely had an impact on their performance. I don't think there's a way that they're allowed to do that, especially in, in the Big Ten. The reason it happens in the in the SEC is because of the rivalries. So in the Pac-12, um, SC and Stanford have the rivalry with Notre Dame, but that's two out of ten teams. So there's only two teams. They don't. The only advantage they I mean, that the reaction to that is that Stanford and SC have to play early on in the season, right? They have to play to in week that. two. They have to play yeah. a conference game in week two. That's the only difference. In the SEC, you have so many games. Florida oh. has to play Florida State. Clemson, uh, sorry, uh, South Carolina has to play Clemson. Georgia has to play Georgia Tech. Uh, there's all these SEC, ACC games to the point that they build in because of that the free week at the end of the year. They start this, the conference season early because of that. So it sort of bakes in that uh, that week for teams like Alabama to go um, and and play whoever they want to play, Mercer or whatever it is, right? Like yeah, or Austin. The Key. Citadel. Um you're not going to have that in the Big Ten. They also so nobody in the Big Ten is doing that. No other other conference is doing the, that. The SEC also has eight conference games, which frees yes. up another week, um, in theory. And um, also, part of this is also just the quirk of the schedule because if this was a season where USC went to Notre Dame, it wouldn't have been at the end of the season. It would have been early in the season, so then right. it could have been uh, USC playing. Well, 
Cal and then look, UCLA. Or... Look at 2016. SC yeah. finishes third in the AP poll at the end of the season, right? But yeah. they finished the season in 2016 by playing a god-awful UCLA team and a god-awful Notre Dame team. Yes, but like, also... Like you, 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 yes, those teams exist, but you can't always like expect them to be what they are. But also, there's something about the timing. You can't, you can't predict the timing necessarily because, like, if USC had played Notre Dame earlier in the season, they wouldn't have gotten the credit for the Notre Dame win that they got coming out of that game because Notre Dame had rebuilt right. their reputation. Um, is is Caleb Williams the favorite to win the Heisman if he doesn't have that stretch of games where he gets to play UCLA and Notre Dame and, and have those sort of national uh, national uh, eyes on him? Mm -hmm. if those games are spread out throughout the season in different sort of games and all that kind of stuff. So I think that when you try to manufacture these things, you realize that things are way more complicated than you might have thought and in the first place. SC having Notre Dame in there is always going to be a put them in the more on the higher strength schedule thing yes. than, than anyone else. Um, to SJ's question, which is straight up, do you think the strength schedule is has relevance? I don't think strength of schedule itself does. I think it's the strength of the top three or four games that you played. If you play three or four top 15 teams and the rest of the schools you play are FCS teams, those three or four games can validate how good you are. Um, and not to say that you want to play FCS school, but you know what I mean? Like there's a certain sort of balance to it. Yeah. Um, that if you've played good teams, like that's what's going to So, yes, validate. because you can look at like strength of schedule SOS, the stat, which is, um, if I remember correctly, it's the number of wins that everybody that you've played has is how they sort of put that together. Um, the Pac-12 is a really good example of how the SOS doesn't matter. It's how many good teams were on your schedule because yeah. the Pac-12 – prior to this year got dogged as the worst conference in, in the country mm -hmm. because they had maybe one, maybe two good teams and then a bunch of evenly matched parody parody party uh, teams that were just beating up on each other all the time. The difference this year and the thing that put USC in position to be in the playoff talk is that the Pac-12 had so, like – legitimately good teams at the top who were winning most of the games at the top. Like yeah, to have USC and Utah and Oregon and Washington to have four teams with two or less, you know, two, two, three losses. But and even then they screwed it up because like UCLA lost a game at the end of the year that they shouldn't have. And, and right. all like, so it could have been even but more extreme. SC also benefited by not having to play Oregon. Yes, uh, and, and not Washington. having to play Washington. Yeah, which was they got Oregon schedule. State, which I think is on the level of those two teams, yeah. roughly. But they, you know, Washington State playing Washington State was much better for SC than having to play one of the other ones. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all a give and take. Uh, Davis emails us and says, "Hey guys, apologies for the long message, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the now official CFP expansion, uh, and also share mine." On one hand, this seems objectively good for USC given the pending move to the Big Ten. So we can now afford to lose up to two games every year and still expect to make the playoff, which makes uh, the much tougher Big Ten conference schedule seem a little less daunting. However, I cannot shake the feeling that this is just another domino to fall in the death of college football as we know it. It seems like greedy, me greedy media conglomerates 
are intent on destroying all traditions that make this sport so special just to try and cater to casual fans who will always prefer the NFL. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I don't want college football to be NFL light. College football is special because we're driving to the weekender. It's special because of the sun setting over the San Gabriels before the fourth quarter of the Rose Bowl. It's special because of the Alabama-Auburn kick six. TCU rushing the field, the, the field goal kicker on against Baylor as the game winds down to zero, or countless other moments that were so memorable because every game matters so much. Maybe I'm stuck in the past. And like David Shaw resigning from Stanford, I simply need to accept that the game has changed and quite frankly moved past me. But I simply can't get excited about Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State sleepwalking through their conference slate every year, knowing that they are guaranteed a playoff spot with two or three losses. Anyways, curious to hear your thoughts, and thanks for all the amazing work you do. Fight on and beat the Utes. Um, this was before the Pac-12 championship yeah. game. Uh, Davis, class of 2020. I've never loved an email that we've gotten better than this. Uh, I Okay, you, you can speak. It's beautiful. Like, I want to frame this. <laughs> Davis, you're speaking to my soul. You're, you're telling me all the sweet nothings. This is this is it. This is it. This is this is how I feel. Um, I saw a a tweet. I want to say it was from Matt Brown. Um, I, I hope I'm getting that right. Who tweeted last week something about like the thing that the college football needs to keep is its sense of space um, and how like playing in NFL venues, like the Cotton Bowl, not being at the Cotton Bowl anymore. And being at Jerry World has sterilized it. And I understand. I, I understand the idea of like you want to maximize all these these big games. I think um we can sit here and we all fantasize about SC playing a, a murderer's row of like the best schedule. Like, imagine if you played Alabama next week and then uh, at Penn State, and then after that you came home to play Wisconsin, and then you then you 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 went on the road to um uh to knoxville like how great that would be if you had all these and it would be great because of what because of our past thoughts of what those games would be but if that was the reality it wouldn't necessarily be that great because yeah then you just you take away what the the specialness of those things and you need college football is great because of the venues college football is great because of the passion college football is great because every moment matters and I do think that every moment still will matter for the most part. Um, and I, I'm willing to understand that part and, and that seating will matter and that, you know, buys and all that stuff will, will, will be a factor. But I do think that college football gets a little less special when a team like Penn State um, gets to be in the, in the playoff. And it's like, I think Penn State's a good team. I think they're a, a really good team. Is Penn State worthy of competing for a national championship this year? No. They, they, they played two elite teams and uh, they lost uh, soundly. They don't deserve to be playing for a national championship. USC does not deserve to be playing for a national championship. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I understand the, the, the sentiment of the playoffs and I get the, like I said, the, can you imagine if all these teams just played more games, more games, more games? I get it. But also, no, I, I don't. I don't need that. I don't need it. I disagree completely. Um, not that Davis. It wasn't a good email. It was a good email, Davis. I just disagree with you, and I disagree with you, Michael, completely. 
y'all are in a state of mind that you can't accept that life is change and that change happens no, all the time I, I get that. and that just because things were done a certain way before doesn't mean doesn't mean that the way that things get done now couldn't also be special in their own way sure so like for instance you could take the middle section of davis's uh, article about i mean a uh, um, uh, email about how this is another domino in the fall of college football, of the death of college football, but from greedy media conglomerates, blah, 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 blah. You could have typed that out in 1998 and slapped that on to the formation of the BCS. And sure. the, and the BCS and the bowl alliance too. before that. And the bowl yeah. alliance before that. Yeah. And guess what? You could have sat here and said like, oh, but we like it when we don't get to see the best teams playing each other every year <laughs> no, because of sense. stupid arcane yeah. bowl uh, things that were, that existed because of regional travel se separations. Like, those kinds of things like you, there there's this nostalgia for the way that things were that are like it's like this false nostalgia to me like no it sucked it sucked not having teams play it sucked right. seeing 2008 USC well, not get to compete for a national title it sucks yes. that Tulane doesn't get to compete for a national title yeah no, it, I yeah I agree with you Penn State doesn't necessarily get to deserve to play for a national title but guess what they were never going to because they would have been in the playoff. They would have gotten beaten. They would have gotten to a position. And if they did, they would have earned their place to be there anyway. No, to me, being in a, in a playoff is playing for the national. Yes, title. Like, yes. Even if it's not you, the national title game, you're playing. Yes, but so for a, for every Penn State that you name, that's like they don't really deserve to be there, but their their record says they do. For every Penn State, there's a Tulane that is was never going to have an opportunity to get anything that possible. There's a UCF. There's a a whoever the heck and 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 whoever yeah. the who. And there's also the the teams like USC who lost one game in 2008 uh, because of one half of football from the defense like on the road at Oregon State. And now suddenly they don't get to play for the national championship because arbitrary rules say that one and two are the only ones who decide, even though we don't know how good four, five, six and seven are. Um, so, oh, the, the, no, let me I'm, I'm giving you a full rebuttal. Okay. I'm giving you a full give, rebuttal. Give OK. The playoff is scary. I get it. But, like, you're not going to sit here and tell me that you would rather watch, quote-unquote, meaningless bowl games, as everyone well, likes okay, to say. So between, is, uh, I'm giving a rebuttal. Quote-unquote, meaningless bowl games, as everyone likes to say, instead of seeing good teams play each other and battle it out with everything on the line. Like, I know that it's scary. I know that you think that you're going to lose the things that make college football special. But what makes college football special is college football. It's the fact that you have a bunch of kids running around trying to win football games that they might not be capable of winning. Like it, 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 it's the, the venues. Yes. You can, you can give the venues this big thing, but like, let's also say if anybody in here says that they would rather watch a game at the cotton bowl, the old cotton bowl that in Jerry world, they are lying to you. It is a better viewing experience to watch a football game in the, in AT&T stadium than at the old cotton bowl. Guess what? It's better watching games at the Coliseum renovated than at the Rose Bowl in their bench seats. Like it is better watching football games in stadiums like Santa Clara, where you actually soulless, if you want to call it, but you actually have good viewing Hold angles than in the 89th row at the Levi's? Rose Bowl. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm going to okay. rep Levi's. Right. Watching football at Levi's was a better experience than watching football at the Rose Bowl. Yes. Come at me. I would rather sit in a seat in middling seat at, at Levi's in a comfortable seat with us with a with a uh, with good concessions with a and view your, of the field than sit in the 89th row on bench seating at the Rose Bowl with binoculars and still not being able to see anything like, yes, you can you can live in this in this uh, 
in this imaginary world where it's like, yeah, we want to play in these old rundown stadiums, but then you go to like the old rundown stadiums and we all sit here and say that they should be renovated. They should be, there should be new things like embrace the new things. They are there for the viewers experience because the viewers are paying for it. And yes, there's media conglomerates everywhere and all that kind of stuff. But like, it's part of, it's part of the nature of, 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 of life that we want to improve things and make things, you know, advance. Like, I'm cool with the advancements. Uh, the only thing I'll say against Levi's is that like getting in as a fan, going through the ticketing station is, is was miserably bad in the PAC 12 context. But, like sucks. the parking situation sucks, but like yeah. the parking situation at the Rose bowl sucks too. Like everything about the, there, there's a million things that are just like, as Paul, as Paul in the chat says, try going to the old bathrooms. Yeah. I would rather go to the bathroom at AT&T stadium than at the old cotton bowl. Okay. okay. Are you done? What makes college football great okay. is the fans who to continue to show up yes. and the players being kids who are trying to do whatever it is possible they can do. Like college football will still is still special. It will still be special. It'll just be special in a different way. Okay. So where I agree with you completely, and I heard Nick Saban talk about this um, when he was interviewed with his uh, campaign speeches over the weekend. Uh, one of the questions he was asked was about the 12-team playoff. Uh, and he said, in this day and age, he's like, well, I, he, he's like, I missed, a, I missed what we had because of what it was or what, what it, we made some sort of comment like that. Uh, and then he said, in this day and age where the bowl games are constantly, like we're, we're becoming keenly aware that the bowl games are not mattering because players are opting out and all this stuff. It will be nice for a game like the cotton bowl to matter again Yeah, in the sense of like, and that the cotton bowl should matter and the Rose bowl should matter. All those bowl games need to matter. And it's hurts my soul that somebody would opt out of one of those games, but this playoff at least now prevents that from happening. And that makes me happy. Yes. So from, from that point, if we're talking, if the alternative is you have these great bowl games that like some teams are going to care about and some don't, versus having a playoff where they're forced to care, I think that will help. But at the same time, I think this might the like the Holiday Bowl might end up suffering worse from this because if you go to the Holiday Bowl now, you're certainly opting out because it's not the playoff. Maybe? Yeah, but if USC was in the uh, USC is complaining, USC fans are complaining about being in the Cotton Bowl this year. Like, sure. <laughs> we're not even talking about the, the holiday bowl or the sun bowl or the Alamo right. bowl or anything it's, like that. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, Dan, what, one of the, the, if we have a ranking of rot bots, I think Dan from Valley village, like up there. needs to be up there. And part of it is because when we had the, the, the rant line up and going, his calls, Always, always make me feel good. Which, by the way, I'm giving you a project for the off season. We're getting, we're getting the ramp line, line, line back. Yeah, the the problem is, if we haven't talked about before, the problem is that when we've plugged in the soundboard, and the problem is not having the soundboard, but the soundboard um, is currently not working with our uh, our mix our mixer, and we need to just figure that out. Um, but okay, Dan says, uh, "My dearest Alicia and Michael, thank you for being there for me all season." Like a good therapist, you've been there for me when I want to celebrate. And I've also talked me off the ledge where I need a perspective, an explanation, and a shoulder to cry on. This has been a tremendous year, so much that the anxiety, nervousness, 
I felt going into the UCLA game, the Notre Dame game, and against Utah and Vegas was too much to handle. And the reason it was almost too much was because I cared so much, in all caps, which has been such a foreign feeling over the previous regime. These feels reminded me of the Carroll eras and how much the pain hurt so much on Friday night. Your astute analysis and grounded view not only broke me out of that feeling of sad that we lost, but juiced for the future. 11-2. and two. What a season. We would have murdered for a season like this years ago. We have it. Let's get trashed and douse each other in champagne and light up those cigars and enjoy. I'm so pumped right now I could suit up if only they took five, seven, 42-year-olds. Uh, I appreciate you both. My less expensive therapist, Dan from Valley Village. Thank you, Dan. Big, yeah. big shout out to, to Dan from Valley Village. Yeah, big, big shout out. Big shout out. To, uh, yeah, again, another really good email. The top 10 wrap up for sure. That uh, is a, a good summation. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like the difference this season. I, I, tell, I told you guys after the, the, the UCLA game, I was freaking out. I was I was in distress during that game, and I cannot remember the last time I was like that during a football game. And it is a beautiful thing to be to be able to feel that again. Yeah. Uh, last email comes from Andrew. Thank you for another season of awesome podcast. It was scary to hear you almost drop the podcast. Of course, the day will come, but a scary thought. Can't imagine a season without you, Andrew in Lisbon. Thank you, and another another top uh, top robot. Love Andrew and Lisbon. Love yes, our international I'm audience. Very frustrated about Andrew and Lisbon right now because we cannot play a duel with Andrew and Lisbon because the Duke gets to start first. He would. He would be the closest to last to, to visit Portugal. It's, it's insane. Azul, <laughs> great board game. Great game. But the idea that the person who starts first is the person who's been to Portugal most recently. Not a good starting Major yeah. flaw. Yeah. Major flaw. All right. We got a bunch of questions. <laughs> Just got to embrace the two-hour episode again, Michael. <laughs> I know. We got to run through these. We're rapid fire the YouTube questions. Rama Murdy, with the transfer portal opened. Lisa, you read these. Okay. I've, I've read a million emails. Okay. You, you read the YouTube question. Rama Murdy, question. With the transfer portal open today and several players entering as well as injuries and opt-outs for the NFL, what will our roster look like for the Cotton Bowl? Um, I think with the exception of Raylan Goforth at this point, um, he the the roster is not going to look too different. Uh, the, I, well, I guess the, come down the, to health. Right? The, the health is the bigger thing than the opt outs for me. I think you can expect Jordan Addison to opt out. Um, there may be a couple of Tuli Tupelotu, maybe. Uh, Makai but, Blackman, maybe. Makai Blackman, maybe. But like yeah. the bigger thing is like Andrew Voorhees and Brett Nealon look like they're going to be injured. I don't know about Voorhees to be honest, but ne- Nealon's definitely out. Um, I, so I could see Voorhees playing because he seems like a guy who would just like. He's just so happy to be we know, playing for SC and all that stuff. We don't know anything about the nature of his injury, though. So, like, I don't right. know if it's short-term, long-term, But whatever. I don't think there's a need for him to play yeah. um, in terms of his personal career. Yeah. yeah. So the Cotton Bowl, I mean, yeah, it won't be the team that played against Notre Dame. That's for sure. But yeah. um, it's also hard to say at this point. Uh, oh, it's right. I'm reading that. You're, you're reading the questions. <laughs> Keep going. We got a question from Hector. With only one year to win the Pac-12, how soon do you think we are competing for the Big Ten Championship, or are we going to be building a roster for the conference once we move over? Um, no, I don't think that's going to be part of the process. No. I think the process is to build a roster that can compete with the Ohio States of the world, whether or not you're in their conference or not. Um, I also reject slightly the idea that like USC will have a harder schedule in the Big Ten. The only thing that I guarantee you will be harder is the travel will be harder 
But mm-hmm. um, if you look at the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, like the middling teams are all sort of also pretty weak. So, I mean, look at the Big Ten yeah. West and then come back to me about whether or not they're I'm more difficult than. Uh, really interested to see what the Big Ten looks like. We don't know if they're going to stay with divisions. We don't I, know if they're not. They shouldn't, but they should not stick with divisions. Yeah. It's been the problem with the Big Ten because you end up with these Big Ten championship games that mean nothing. Even yeah. though I guess you could argue that it maybe it's helpful because maybe it makes it easier for them to get to the playoffs. Because, because then Michigan gets to beat you get Purdue. to beat Purdue instead yeah. of beating a, another playoff caliber team. Maybe yeah, maybe that's better. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and then get to sneak Ohio State in as well. Because yeah. if they stick with divisions. And SC and UCLA are going to be in the West. Oh, yeah, that's not a problem. Then SC is like get make sure that you uh, start to invest in Indianapolis in hotels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's. I say that now, and then you know, fast well, forward five years, and Iowa's gone five really, times over SC. But yeah, and, and but that's that's why you. I don't think it's you can't predict these things necessarily. Things will fall the way they fall. Either way, right. USC's goal is to build a roster that's capable of competing at a high level, anyways. Yeah. All right, we got touchdown USC saying, is tackling ability going to be a major requirement for defensive players acquired through the transfer portal? Um, I mean, I would I would hope so to a I, point, but I like say, yeah. uh I don't know if that's like I, I don't know if that's can, like the the end all be all. Um I think I, you want to just instill that in your team. Can they say you're something getting. really unsatisfying? Hmm. Outside of like Georgia. Everyone tackles back. Can you name a team that tackles that's well? The, that's, like, that's the dirty secret. The, the, the They don't tackle to me is like code for this defense didn't make a stop. Like if you don't make a stop, well, then you just probably didn't make a tackle also. Yeah. Like, like these I mean, things to, to me like are. Were, were people watching Michigan last night? Because like Michigan looked like they couldn't tackle Purdue at times. And it's like they look like USC tackling. Well, yeah, that's what because that's the dirty secret. Most college football players are bad at tackling yeah like it's, um, it's hard to tackle yeah it's yeah hard it's hard to tackle. To tackle. i'm not making an excuse i'm just no like, no, no. It's, it's just it's hard to tackle. we we get tunnel vision with the the team that that you follow and like oh we're right. like the worst at tackling and i'm not going to say that usc is good at tackling necessarily they're certainly not good you just watch enough college football and you realize that like the the teams that are good at tackling are like the few and far between so it, right. it's it if you're if you're gonna base everything based on like can that guy tackle like well then you're only going to be able to recruit georgia <laughs> players which they're not going to come out of the draft. all right um all leonard right. avalos more, more rapid fire yeah, We're leonard, an hour and 45 yes. leonard avalos when is justin flow coming um we don't know but i think he should there's people who say that usc shouldn't take the chance on him after the injury stuff that he had and his poor performance at oregon this year to me dude who missed two seasons because of injury now is at a development disadvantage so you take your opportunity to see if you can get the most out of him. Um, that's what I would do if I were USC. Uh, we're going Hector M. Was this loss evidence of the talks before the season now coming to light? Riley not being able to win big games and Grinch's big defensive struggles proving to be consistent? I, I think you could say that if everyone was fully healthy and you didn't have all these what-if scenarios. And I get that the what-if scenarios are annoying to talk about because it'd be easier to just talk in formalities. Um, but no, I... The idea that Lincoln Riley doesn't win big games, I don't buy. He, he was four and zero in in Big Twelve championship games. Yeah, the big games he didn't lose, he didn't win were the playoff games. And yeah, which is not like, this question. Again, who's winning playoff games? Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, uh, and Dabo Sweeney from like four years ago. That's it. Those are the only te- coaches winning playoff. Games. I don't think it's an indictment that yeah. Lincoln Riley hasn't won those. Yeah. 
Uh, Rama Murdy says, how do we improve the physicality on defense to beat Utah and prepare for the Big Ten? Um, I think tr- uh, recruiting and transfer will play a big role in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also mentality. Like, I think you instill that mentality and um, you got to do that the whole offseason from day one. I also think that the physicality of the Big Ten's overrated. It is. Also, how is the Big Ten going to deal with USC speed? That's the other question yes. that you could flip around on that. Right. Hector also asked, has Grinch not already had top talent before and not been able to produce. I mean, so here's the thing people want to complain about his Oklahoma defenses, but his Oklahoma defenses were like better than anything USC has had over the last five years. So right. Like yeah. again, yeah, there's levels. Right. Um, and, and if you, if you pair that with uh, an elite offense, you're going to have a defense that's capable of winning you, you know, 11, 12 games. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Rama Murdy also asked, what will the roster look like for the Cotton Bowl? Oh, we've already sort of hit that, hit on that. Glenn asked, will we break the AT&T Stadium curse at this year's Cotton Bowl? Honestly, I think it's a 50-50. I think it's a 50-50 because we don't know what what team USC is going to field, what quarterback they're going to field, and we don't know just how big of a gap between the Tulane of the American and the USC of the Pac-12 is at this point. So Michael's shaking his head and saying no. Saying yes, no, no. I am saying. Um, I will save it for the preview. Okay. Tim Prangley asks, uh, "Addison, Tuli, and Voorhees opt out?" Question mark. We'll see, but I think all are all would make would logical within, sense based on the opt outs of before. All within their rights, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Randy asks, "What do you think the chances uh, we can pick up David Bailey and Justin Flo in the transfer portal?" David Bailey, obviously the Stanford linebacker, who, to my He's knowledge, is not, not in, in the, the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. But Stanford is uh, bleeding transfers right now, and then Justin Flo, who is in the transfer portal. Um, I think you got to feel good. Justin Flo committed to Oregon because he was recruited by Dante Williams. Dante Williams is at USC. USC is back home. Uh, the only thing that would stop Justin Flo to me is if he just, I don't know, wanted to live somewhere else. Uh, or if USC didn't want him, which I don't know. If David Bailey gets in the transfer portal, USC should offer him the 55 and everything else that they can possibly offer him to get him to USC. But he needs to hit the portal first, so you don't know if that's going to happen. Anything on that? No, you said it. Uh, Plymadec question. Can you imagine a world in which Brent Venables gets fired in a few seasons and we bring him in as RDC? I know it's unrealistic, but would also be hilarious to upset the OU fans even more. Uh, I would sign up for that. Would you, Michael? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You yeah. you want someone of, of that caliber to yeah. do your DC. Yeah. Um, okay. Fighting on MC. What about Caleb's hand injury? Uh, to my knowledge, it was just a, uh, a flesh wound, and it, that should I, not be an issue. I think the hand injury sort of akin to DTR's injury against SC. Yeah. Where – one that certainly makes him wounded, but as you saw DTR make plays against SC, yeah, one that a player of Caleb's caliber can still make plays with them. that. That's the kind of injury where initially it just impacts it impacts you because it feels wrong, and yeah. so much of these guys is muscle memory of of sort of getting into it, and uh, not not as bad as the booty broken finger. Not as bad as the booty broken finger. No, uh, Caleb with just the hand injury in that game. I don't think we're talking about that. The hand. Uh, I, I think uh, the hamstring, obviously, bigger. Yeah. Spoo asks, is there any scenario where we stay in the Pac-12? This conference is suddenly exciting. I agree. <laughs> so here's my thing about the big to the, the move to the big, 12, big 10. 
good on USC for being proactive and going after the money and going after to compete with the big dogs. I, I, yeah. I appreciate USC making that, that thing. If I had my way, USC could have the best of both worlds by staying in the Pac-12 and also having all the money. Um, but that's not the way that the world works. And the Pac-12 suddenly looking like they're good is quite annoying to me. Um, but the money is still in the Big Ten, so you still move to the Big Ten. Yeah. Randy asks, uh, what do you think the chances are of... Oh, sorry, I didn't do that. Uh, what's our first transfer portal signee, asks Adam. I don't know. I Maybe we'll on Thursday when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about it. Hey, UCLA had the... the Linebacker from Cal jump in the portal, and then like an hour later, he committed to UCLA. So who knows? Yeah. The region's got to be furious about that. Oh, yes. Terrible. Uh, Eric asks, can you clarify a transfer rule? Um, we talked about that oh, one. We did. My yeah. bad. Okay. Lamont, what do you think about the lack of success the former USC players and coaches have had this year? It's clear to me that uh, Coach Lincoln Riley did great work weeding out the bad apples and not team first guys. I also don't know that it's like bad apples and not team first. I just think there were some guys who just weren't up to snuff to the to the level that USC wants to play at and were given opportunities to go elsewhere. Um, you know, I think that uh, Keaton proved he is who he is. Uh, he's a, a good, not great quarterback who, um, you know, ran into trouble. Um, Keaton's a development issue, I think. Yeah. Um he also, I mean, she, you have to remember he was a he was a three star guy coming out of school. Maybe he overachieved as a freshman. Maybe we overthought of. I mean, I don't know how to feel about JT at this point. JT just, I think he's gotten plenty of opportunities, and he's been in a position to uh, be so, developed pretty decently enough to perform better than he has. Sometimes dudes are just not as good when they get to the next level as they were in high school. And sometimes yeah. dudes have all of their confidence and all of their belief shaken and they just are not the, capable. The, of the other thing is any player who transfers, uh, there's like you transfer for like one of three reasons. One that you miss home and you just want to go home mm -hmm. Two, it's that you didn't latch on to the system. Um, and, uh, you just need a fresh start. Um, and those fresh start guys, Sometimes even the new fresh start just doesn't doesn't catch catch on and and you know may, maybe that it, it's difficult. I don't think there's a, a clear pattern that the SC guys uh, certainly didn't pan out and that that necessarily means something about Lincoln Riley and, and his selection process. Um, I can see how you could get to that conclusion, but yeah, to, to me, if if you players who are transferring more than likely. Um, are needing a fresh start and there's a reason they need a fresh start in the, in the first place. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I, I guess in that sense, we're saying it is not surprising that, uh, which, which makes work the out. transfer portal a risk by the way. Yes. Uh, unless you're getting someone like say Caleb Williams, who is transferring from a position of, of high leverage um, and not all transfers are the same. Yeah. Okay, Jasper asks, if USC was undefeated going into the Pac-12 title game and lost the way they did, would they still have gotten into the playoffs? I have thoughts on this, Michael. Do you? Um, I think they're in. Yeah. I think there's a chance they're not in. Um, my argument is this. The committee kept saying that they were doubting USC because of the defense, and the defense playing the way that they did at the end of that game, I think ultimately would be the thing that kept USC out, especially if the committee could look at it and think there's a chance that Caleb Williams is not going to play in the playoffs. I think there's a chance that they would have gotten knocked out. But if they win, then I mean, if they were undefeated, then the 
Utah game at Rice Eccles would have not added to sour that. But the, uh, the, the let's say the let's say it's on one play. Let's say the two point conversion is not complete, right? So I think the you, narrative completely changes. Uh, like but completely. We're still, and we're, I think people are talking about the defense of like, oh my god, they made the big play when they have. We're like, still talking about we're a forgetting defense, how finicky narratives are here. We're still talking about a defense that would have given up forty one points to to Utah. Were, were people talking about Tennessee's 35, defense for 45. giving up forty eight points to Alabama? Yeah. Uh, that's fair, you see but, what I'm saying? but people were talking about Tennessee's defense and they did get exposed by Georgia and then Tennessee fell off a cliff. So like, I don't know. It's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. Okay. Uh, Randy asked another hypothetical. Uh, let's say Caleb Williams wins the Heisman, comes back next year, wins it again with modern day NIL. What are the chances he comes back to chase a third Heisman? Zero. He's going to the NFL. Yeah. He will be the number one overall pick, and that will be more he, than any NIL let, he could get. He'll get NIL in the NFL. Let's say hypothetically that, that let's Randy. Let's let's say that he gets he wins the second Heisman, and for the he he is offered ten million dollars by um, Dr Pepper to be the face of all of their commercials for the college football season going into the third year. That ten million dollars pales into comparison what the whatever uh, fifty million dollars that the Carolina Panthers are going to give him with the opportunity to make more if he's a success. Who was the number one quarterback taken in the most recent draft? I'm I'm blanking. Uh, the the highest rated quarterback. Who was the Who was the number one quarterback in the most recent draft? You know. I was having this this thought the other day. I don't remember the 2022 NFL draft to save my life. Uh, well, the, clearly I I don't either. Uh, the, the Jags had the number one pick in Trevon Walker, and I couldn't even remember that they did. Uh, no, the highest rated quarterback uh, was see. Kenny Pickett at 20. Kenny Pickett. So bad, bad example. Okay, Kenny Pickett at 20 uh, is making... Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. We'll talk about Trevor. Trevor Lawrence is probably the best comparison. To like someone who the expectations, Heisman level expectations, draft expectations. That's where Caleb Williams is going to be. Uh, and you you look at his salary; he's making Kenny nine Pickett, point one million. Yeah, Kenny Pickett was the twenty was it was a not even a top twenty draft pick and got a seven million dollar buy a signing bonus. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it, you there's, it's, there's it's, no, it's, there's no, 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 no. Uh, Mark asks, uh, says, or so here's the thing. Look how long it took Harbaugh to build Michigan. We over succeeded year one, but it will take year two in the big 10 before we can truly be at full strength. I think that's a good argument too, is that again, um, to, to have a, your full imprint put on a program, you're talking two, three years down the line, certainly not year one. Uh, Jasper asks on offense, who would you rather pick a Jordan Addison or a tight end like Brock Bowers? I'd pick Bowers, by the way. No one needs to know, uh, needs to question my answer on this. Give me Brock Bowers every day of the week and twice on Saturdays. You disagree or agree? Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Um, Spoo asks, are you guys coming out to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl? No. We so, are not. He, one of the reasons that we went to Dallas all the time is uh, my my best friend is like my brother. Uh, lived in Dallas. Lived just outside of Dallas. Uh, he moved to washington that's why we were in washington recently so um yeah that, that takes and annoyingly, why isn't there a bowl game in seattle man but annoyingly 
they they moved after the the SC leaves the the Pac-12 when it would have been really easy. Like this could have been it could have been a home base for us to go to to go to all the Pacific Northwest games. If they're watching right now, I hope they I hope they feel that. I hope they just I cannot believe it. Yeah. All right, Jasper asked deep down, "Don't you wish USC was staying in the Pac-12?" I do. Going back uh, back east four to five times a year is a disadvantage. We already sort of talked about that. Yes, I think both of us would prefer to stay in the Pac-12 if the other circumstances weren't part of the equation. Yep. Uh, Joe Schmo asked, what about Dante Williams to UNLV? So UNLV has an open coaching position, and he, they are being linked to everybody and their mother. I saw Bruce Feldman tweet today that uh, Ed Orgeron says he is not in the mix <laughs> for that, uh, and Chris Peterson also says he is not in the mix for that job. If so you're Chris Peterson, why would you? Like, what? If oh. you're UNLV... You could do worse than taking the swing at at uh, at Dante Williams with the idea of we just need an Uber recruiter to come in here and bring guys to Vegas. Um, but if I'm Dante Williams, I do not know about taking that job. Well, I guess you take any head coaching job that they offer you if you're Dante Williams. So, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, we've got two hours. It's it's time to yeah. pack it up. Yeah. So we will be back Thursday. Thursday, Thursday, two, two, three days from now, live here on YouTube. We appreciate all of you guys, everyone in the chat. Uh, we, it's seriously, it's been a blast um, uh, chatting with you guys this this year and podcasting, and we appreciate you. Uh, make sure that you like the stream and are subscribed, and we'll see you Thursday. If you're watching or listening to us, sorry, listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure that you review, help grow the show that way. Uh, we appreciate you just as much because we've been with you longer, baby. So, yeah, that's it. We'll be back uh, Thursday to talk. Who knows? Probably more transfer portal stuff. A lot uh, more transfer yeah. portal stuff. Send us more, more emails. Rateofpanside.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, until then. <laughs> Tim, until then, Tim says he's going to start a petition to make the preview podcast the amount of time it takes to drive from L.A. to the game. <laughs> <laughs> that'll I, be a I lot like more move. difficult when I we like move, move to the big 10 <laughs> yes yeah. I, I like that move all right uh thanks guys uh, until then we will see you at least the final word like the old day the old days uh the final word is um uh i don't i don't uh, see ya <laughs> <laughs> okay mm. way to botch it jeez no no no. the final word is two lane because we met a friend over the weekend and we were talking about how USC was going to play Tulane and she's like what is Tulane <laughs> like Tulane <laughs> and uh and I thought that was funny and sorry Tulane we love you you're like Tulane's logo cool. Tulane has a beautiful logo beautiful uh Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.